And we are so excited to announce something brand new here at Bayshore Community Church. Available now on any of the app stores, either Apple or Android or even Amazon, is the exciting Bayshore Church app for your mobile device. Now this app is chock full of content for you to use to engage with Bayshore. There's a sermon archive where you can browse past messages from both campuses. There's ways for you to sign up for classes, for events, for small groups. There's events calendars so that you don't miss anything that's happening. There's even a Bible reading section where you can get daily updates on where we are reading in the Bible. Also, this app has a great new giving feature, a very sleek and efficient way to easily give anytime you like and also have reoccurring gifts. So be sure to check out our app. You can go to bayshorecc.org slash app. That's bayshorecc.org slash app. And find links to download the Bayshore Church app. We want to continue our series today. We're in part two of Famous Givers. And uh, we want to welcome our podcast listeners and also those that are watching uh, on Facebook Live right now. Thank you for tuning in and those that will watch us on the internet later. So thank you for being a part of uh, this series, Famous Givers Part 2. So we're talking about famous givers. And in our church, Amber, famous giver. Famous giver uh, in, uh, in culture. I was, this week I was up in uh, Washington, D.C. with uh, Bill Sammons, Jr., who is the uh, founder of the uh, Bridge Radio Station. And Joel and I were with him and some other pastors. We were at the Bible Museum Bible Museum, brand new, just not too far from the, uh, from the Capitol uh, and the White House, just really, really amazing facility, and we were getting a tour, and uh, it's just phenomenal. In fact, we're taking a trip there, uh, offering a trip from Bayshore here in, a, in a, about a month or so. Uh, it was just really amazing. So I was asked the tour person, I, I couldn't, I'm you know, inquiring people want to know. I said, well, how much does this place cost? It's amazing. I mean, it's just phenomenal. And uh, the tour guide said, well, she was a little sheepish about it, but she said $500 million and up, and it's just a beautiful, beautiful facility. And I said, well, how did this happen? She said that uh, Steve Green, who is the uh, CEO of Hobby Lobby, how many know who Hobby Lobby is? Hobby Lobby is a uh, good company. And so Steve Green and the Green family and Hobby Lobby invested Lots of money in the Bible Museum. And so we have this amazing witness for Christianity and for Jesus in the New Testament, the Old Testament, just a little distance from the White House. So it's really, really cool. So I was thinking about famous givers, and there's definitely a famous giver. Here's a picture of Steve Green there. And uh, so I was thinking about him as a famous giver. Also, I was watching Netflix. I was watching uh, David Letterman's new thing, My Next Guest Is. And uh, sometimes people, you know, David Letterman's a little bit liberal and all that. So uh, just to let the cat out of the bag, I, I listen to liberal and conservative people. I just want to listen to what people have to say. So I was uh, listening to him, and he had uh, George Clooney on. And he was interviewing George Clooney. George Clooney uh, grew up, his dad was a broadcaster as well, Nick Clooney from Kentucky. And while, they, while Nick Clooney was growing up, or with George Clooney was growing up with his dad, Nick Clooney, what happened was his, uh, his dad was a very benevolent giver. And his dad was constantly uh, giving. And George Clooney said on Christmas morning, before they could ever open their presents, what happened was is his, his dad would load them all up. They'd saved up money during the year, and they saved up money, 
and they went to help needy families on Christmas morning before they went and opened their own Christmas gifts. And Nick, Nick, uh, George Clooney said, ah, just wish for one, one time, one time for Christmas, we could just open up presents. But we always had to go and help some needy family. Here's a picture of George Clooney. Um, a lot of people say I look like George Clooney. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not, but a lot of people say that. It's interesting, in recent years, George Clooney has had a real burden to help people in the Sudan, the Defar region, where there's been civil wars and homelessness and suffering. And so he's given millions of dollars to help out with that cause. And uh, I read just this week about how he had a, a sports car that he auctioned off for $100,000, he gave that, and he gave millions of dollars, as other people has as well. And uh, he started an organization called Not On Our Watch, where they're trying to do something to help the people in Dafar. And I thought about, I wondered if there's a connection between his upbringing, how his dad taught him to give, and him being a benevolent giving person now. So I think that's interesting. So those are some contemporary giving people. Today I want to look at a woman in the Bible who is a famous giver. In fact, it was predicted by Jesus that she would be a famous giver. And it's found in Mark chapter 14, verses 1 through 9. This same story is found in Matthew 26, and it's also found in John chapter 12. We're going to read the Mark version, and then I'm going to read the John version, because it gives a little more detail in the John version. Mark 14, 1 through 9 Now the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some sly way to arrest Jesus and kill him. But not during the feast, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume made of pure nard, She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare my bur- for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. She's a famous giver. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Famous giver. John 12, verses 1 through 8, same story, different details. Six days before the Passover, Jesus arrived in Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on his feet. So evidently, she poured it on his feet and his hair, if we put those two stories together. He wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor is worth a year's wages? He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and a keeper of the money bag, 
he used to help himself to what's put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It is intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. So this is a great story about giving. And I think there are some really important insights in giving on the, in this story. Now, first of all, the environment where the story takes place. It was in a uh, it happened in Bethany, not too far from Jerusalem, a mile and a half from Jerusalem. And it's among friends of Jesus. Jesus has been, the week before the crucifixion, he's in and out of Jerusalem, and he's staying the night at Bethany. And as he's in Jerusalem, it's a hostile environment. There's people asking him questions. They're saying, should we pay taxes to Caesar? How, you know, they're asking him theological questions. They're trying to trip Jesus up. So during the day, Jesus is in an adversarial environment. In the evening, he comes home to Bethany, where he probably stays with, with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And there's a party given in Jesus' honor, a party. Maybe they kind of sense the time is imminent that Jesus is going to die. So there's a party given, and it's at Simon the leper's house. It's not at Martha and Mary and Lazarus' house. It's Simon the leper's house. Now, what's important about Simon the leper is you never want to go. If anybody is a leper and they ever ask you to go to dinner, you shouldn't go to their house. Because leprosy was highly contagious. So evidently, this was a former leper. This is his nickname. He used to be a leper. But he's not a leper anymore. And we can guess how he's not a leper anymore. Jesus touched this man and healed him of his leprosy. And so this man loves Jesus. He is crazy about Jesus. So he says, I want to have Jesus at my house. I want to have the party at my house. Probably Martha and Simon the leper had a little bit of an argument. Martha liked to have things at her house. But Simon said, no, I want to have it at my house. So we've got Simon the leper that's there. And he's really pro-Jesus. He loves Jesus because Jesus has changed his life. And if Jesus has changed your life, say amen right now. So this man loves Jesus. He's pro-Jesus. Then you've got Lazarus who's there. Now Lazarus has recently been raised from the dead. This man literally was dead for four days, and now he's alive. And so everybody at the party is there to see Jesus, but they like seeing Lazarus as well. And a lot of people are taking selfies with Lazarus because they want everybody to know that they're getting a picture with this man that was dead for four days. So Lazarus is really wild about Jesus. He loves Jesus. Loves Jesus with all his heart. Jesus is his best friend. He loves Jesus. You got Mary, who we know in Luke chapter 10, adored Jesus. And this is the woman, the John's gospel tells us, this is the woman who breaks the alabaster box and pours it over the head of Jesus. And it's Mary in Luke chapter 10 that sits at the feet of Jesus while Martha's in the kitchen banging pots and pans. And this is the Mary that's sitting at the feet of Jesus, looking lovingly into his eyes, listening to everything that he has to say. She loves Jesus. Martha's there. Martha would do anything for Jesus. Martha is a servant. She wants to show her love by frying chicken for Jesus and making potato salad. She's that kind of person. So what I want you to see is this environment that the party's at is people that love Jesus. This is not like Jerusalem where people are hostile to Jesus. This is a Jesus-friendly environment. This is where people love Jesus. And it's in that environment that Mary comes 
She takes an alabaster box, which by itself is worth a lot of money. A very, very prestigious uh, piece of ornamentation where perfume was kept that was made, it, it was imported from India. It was made of nard, pure nard. Nard comes from a root of trees that grow on the Himalaya mountains in India. So this perfume is imported into Israel, and I don't know how she got it, but it's worth a year's wages. Now think about your annual salary, what you make. You know what you make. This is a whole year's salary. And I don't know what she had it for. I don't know if she was saving it for her wedding. I don't know why she had it. The Bible doesn't say why she acquired this, but this is a very, very exotic thing to own. She takes this, and she comes to Jesus, and she snaps the neck off that alabaster box, and she pours that ointment over the head of Jesus, and then she takes some, and she pours it on his feet, and she empties that vial, and People that are there are shocked because they know the value of that, and they're upset. They said this should have been given to the poor. What's important about this story is that Mary was motivated by love when she gave her resources to Jesus. She was motivated by love. This party is about people that love Jesus. There's nothing in Mary that's compulsively feeling guilt about giving this. It's not like she read something in Deuteronomy and said, you better give this or you're going to be in big trouble. It's not like some law is looming over her, forcing her to do this. But it's because she loves Jesus so much that she gave this expensive, exotic gift and poured it all out on the person of Jesus. Now, I think a lot of us, when we start giving, I thought Amber's story was so encouraging how God blessed her and helped her. She was learning to give. I think many of us, as we start to give, we give out of guilt. We give out of guilt as we learn to give. In fact, if, I, if you don't mind me being crude and a little bit uh, maybe even inappropriate, I think giving in the church is a quintessential uh, parallel to uh, colonoscopy. I don't want to ask you if you've ever had one of those. But we think about giving that way. We ought to give. We should give. Doesn't the Bible say in Malachi, will a man rob God, yet you've robbed me of tithes and offerings? And so there's this cloud of guilt over us that we should give. And we think about giving that way. And I think that giving, according to this story, is not to be motivated by guilt, but it's to be motivated by love. That we're to give to Jesus because we love Him. Not because we feel guilty, not because we feel bad, not because we feel like we're, you know, we ought to. It's because Mary loved that alabaster box. She loved that ointment. She loved that perfume. It was the most important thing in her life. She loved it. She kept it in a special place in her house. But there was something that she loved more. There was something or someone that she loved more, and she surrendered the alabaster box, not out of guilt, but out of love, because she loved Jesus more than she loved that resource that she had. 
what we're after here at Vashor is not to turn the guilt up, not to turn the volume of guilt up in people's hearts and to twist people's arms and to make them feel guilty so that they'll give. We want to turn up the volume of love so we love Jesus so much that we're willing to surrender everything because we love him more than anything in this world. There's a difference. I remember my most important valuable things are are my books. I love my books. I love books. I collect books. I've been collecting books for 40 years. When I was in Bible college, I had a better book collection than anybody in Bible college, and I love my books, and I was very careful with my books, and, and I had some of my friends wanted to borrow my books. They wanted to borrow my books, and so they would ask to borrow books, and I felt terrible because I didn't want to give them my books. I knew they were, they were going to mark in my books, and they would maybe not give me back my books. There's a guy named David, a guy named David that lives in Virginia Beach. Now, he still has some of my books, and I'm still in therapy about that. But I would lend my books out because I thought I didn't want to be a greedy, snotty little guy. I wanted to surrender the books, and I hated it. It hurt me, every book I gave away. And, and I think sometimes how we know if we're giving out of guilt is guilt giving always hurts. Guilt giving is always painful. Guilt giving always hurts. And we say, hey, you need to give till it hurts. If you give till it hurts, you've got given your love. Because when love gives, love doesn't hurt. This week when I went to uh, the Bible Museum, my son Joel, who pastors our Rehoboth campus, Joel was with me and, and uh, other ministers and Bill Jr. and Bill Sr. Salmons and and we're standing in line, you know, it, it costs $15 to get in. There's actually a donation, and it's really reasonable for all you see, but, you know, they, they make it up on the restaurant. They have the Mana restaurant up there, which they charge outstanding prices. And so I, I ordered this thing, cost like 26 bucks, and it was like some meatballs and something. And Joel's in a line behind me, and Joel's getting some, you know, chicken fingers. They're called Mana chicken fingers, just to put a Christian spin on it. But anyhow. <laughs> and, and I always try to buy Joel's lunch whenever we do things together or we have dinner together but you know why I do that it's because my dad my dad who's 81 years old has never let me pay for a meal whenever we're out together he always I try to you know I try to pay for the meal no that's not sincere but I try to pay for the meal (laughs) and he never lets me so consequently Karen and I take my mom and dad to really expensive restaurants all the time But Joel, I said, Joel, I'll get your lunch. And I, he said, no, Dad, no, Dad. And I probably embarrassed all the ministers there, you know. And, you know, Joel's financially well-to-do. Dave Ramsey calls him for advice. He's really <laughs> doing really well. But when we got back to Delaware in the car, I pulled out. I had a bunch of money in my pocket. I pulled out, I pulled out a $20 bill, and I said, Joel, hey, I'm buying your lunch. He said, no, Dad, you're not buying my lunch. I said, yes, I'm buying your lunch. And, we, you know, I was chasing him around the yard with it, you know, trying to give him this $20 bill. There's nothing, nothing in me that hurts about that. Now, you know, if the IRS said I owed them 20 more dollars, that would hurt. That's guilt. But there's nothing in me. I'd give him $100. I'd give him $500. My love for him is greater than any bills I have in my pocket. 
Christmas morning, you know, when Karen and I have Christmas morning together. You know, I, I, I know I've got the most amazing wife in the world. I, I know she's beautiful, she's smart, she's godly, she's intelligent. She lives everything I preach. I preach it. I'm trying to live it. She's really living it. You know, she's just really wonderful. And, uh, and people look at me all the time. How did he ever get her? I know you're thinking that. But at Christmas, man, I just buy her all kinds of stuff, and, and I'll get her all this stuff, and then I think, I don't have her enough, and I'll go buy more stuff. And on Christmas morning, she's opening those presents. I'm not thinking, that was, that was $49.95, and that was $120 there. I'm not thinking that. I just love her because when you love somebody, the pain of giving goes away. Guilt giving hurts, but love giving doesn't. When, when Mary broke open that alabaster box and she poured that ointment on the head of Jesus, it was motivated not by guilt. It was not motivated, motivated by condemnation. It wasn't motivated by I ought to. It was motivated by I love Jesus and the most important thing in my life is Jesus and I want to give the most important thing I have to Jesus and she gave it and there was no regret, no pain because she loved Jesus more than she loved the alabaster box. What we have to do in our modern church is we have to fall in love with Jesus again. We have to remember that He's redeemed us from our sins. We have to remember that we were lepers, that we were sinful, and He's cleansed us of our leprosy like Simon the leper. We have to remember, like Lazarus, that we were dead in our sins and Christ has raised us alive by the Spirit of God, that we have been redeemed and we should fall in love with Jesus because giving is not about guilt. Giving is about loving Jesus. And so, when I was growing up, my granddad, I had a granddad that I loved dearly, my granddad, his name was Lester Jones. Here's a picture of him. This is a blurry picture of my granddad. He's sitting on a tractor, farm all tractor, in a snow-covered field. And he'd been, I remember, I was a kid, he was cleaning our driveway. And he lived across the road from us. He had about a 60 to 80 acre farm. He lived in a little tiny, with my grandma, lived in a little tiny farmhouse, one bedroom farmhouse. It had a little slopey floor. I remember how uneven the kitchen floor was. It was out of, out of, out of, uh, out of level. It wasn't level. And whenever I'd go up to him, when I'd go up there to visit him as a kid, he'd always give me money. He just was so kind. He always gave me 50 cents. Always give me 50 cents every time I'd go. I always went to Woolworths. Does anybody remember Woolworths? Woolworths on, on, in Nylon Capital Shopping Center. We went every Friday night and I bought models. I bought car models, plane models, and I put them together. And sniffing all that glue, I, that's what's happened to me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but when I, when I grew up, uh, and Karen and I went to Bible college, I was home for uh, Bible college, from Bible college one, uh, one Christmas break. And my granddad had this thing where he saved 50-cent pieces. He loved 50-cent pieces. And he would collect them at the grocery store, and he would get them out on the table, and he would kind of line them up and clean them up. He loved, he always showed me these 50-cent pieces. He was so proud of them. And he kept them in a coffee, uh, coffee can behind his, his chair, he said, in a little hutch. And so one 
year, I was the first year of Bible college, and I came, I came home, Karen and I, and we went up to see him before we left. We were going to fly out from BWI the next day, and I went up to see my granddad, and I called him Pop-Pop. Pop-Pop, I'm sorry, we're leaving. It's so good to see you. And um, little, little tiny farmhouse, didn't have any money. That tractor, that farm L tractor, a little small tractor, did that whole farm with that little... And we're getting ready to leave. And he reaches back into that cupboard and he gets that coffee can out. And he reaches into that coffee can and he gets a big scoop of 50-cent pieces. And he gives, pours them into my hand. And he said, when you go back to Pensacola, you're going to need some bread, you're going to need some milk. And I want you to have these 50-cent pieces. And I said, Pop, Pop, I can't. You love these. I can't take these. He said, nope. We want you to have them. So we took those 50-cent pieces, put them in our pocket. And when I got back to Pensacola, never, ever spent those 50-cent pieces. Because what I realized was... He loved me more than he loved what he loved a lot. He loved me more than what he loved, what was in that can. Tithing and giving doesn't flow from your guilty conscience. It flows from your overflowing heart of love and gratitude. So when we capture, we're captured by the love of Jesus again. We're captured by how much He loves us, how much He cares about us, how, how much He has done for us. When we fall back in love with Jesus, our hands become loose and we surrender to the Lord. I think, I think we were talking at the end of the first service, you know. Uh, one guy said, don't you think, that God blesses guilt giving. And uh, I said, you know what? I think we, we kind of all start out that way. You know, we start out giving. We ought to do it. And so we start out and we give and, and all that. But as we grow in the Lord, it's got to be about something different. It's got to be about something different. You know, I, I love oatmeal. I love oatmeal. Hot, hot, warm oatmeal. Not the instant, but the stuff you've got to cook for a while. I love oatmeal. Cuts bananas up in there. Put some honey on it. Now, I, I'm just imagining Jesus loves oatmeal. I mean, don't you think Jesus would probably love oatmeal? Work with me here. This is stretching it a little bit. This is, this is not in the New Testament. This is extra biblical information I'm giving you now. Just imagine that I'm, I'm going to give Jesus, a, uh, I'm gonna give Jesus a, a bowl of oatmeal. And it's steaming and it's warm. Got the bananas up there. Got the honey on it. Got the almond milk, you know, on there. Or the regular milk. Put it on there. And I take it to Jesus. And I set it down in front of him. But there, there are three ugly black house flies that are in the top of that oatmeal. Ruins the whole thing. Ruins the whole thing. How many know? Doesn't matter how good the oatmeal looks, if it's got flies in it, you're not going to eat it. How many know that? 
as we grow in the Lord, any offering we give to the Lord that's motivated by guilt has flies in it. He doesn't want guilt given. He wants our hearts overflowing with the love of God because we love Him and we've been redeemed. And Mary loved Jesus so much. It, that alabaster box, it was wonderful. She loved it, but she loved something more. And if there's something in this world you love more than your money, just say a big amen right now. So when I get my, my little my tithe and my giving... It's not about guilt. It's not about, oh, you know, I ought to do it. You know, hey, you know, it's something I got to do. I need to do it. Boy, I'd just rather have a colonoscopy. I need to do this. You know, I know. It's just that it's not, it's all, you know, but, but what it's about, I go to the app and I push, send, I give my gift. I'm pouring upon the head of Jesus my resources because there's something I love, someone I love more than my resources. I love the Lord. Peter was asked by Jesus at the, the resurrection, Peter, do you love me more than these? I don't know what the, these are. If there's his boats, his fish, his friends. Do you love me more than these? And it's about loving Jesus more than these. Let me give you a, a uh, a New Testament support for what I'm saying. And then um, I got one little point, and we're doing good on time, so you may beat the Baptist to the restaurant this week. So we're doing good. Let's go Second uh, Corinthians chapter Second Corinthians chapter nine, verses six through nine. I want you to see something that's real important here. This is about giving. Paul's collecting money to help the poor in Jerusalem. And it's about offering. It's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Be generous, he's saying. Be generous. Everybody say generous. Generous. That's good. Remember whoever sows sparingly. Back up a little bit if you would. One more verse. Oh, yeah. you're already there. I'm sorry. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Next verse. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Your heart to give. Not your conscience. Your heart. Say this with me. Giving flows from my heart. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And the word compulsion there is lepo in the Greek, and it means sorrow, sadness, or remorse. You shouldn't give out of sadness. Shouldn't give out a remorse. Shouldn't give out of feeling bad. It says each of you should give what you've decided in your, everybody say it, heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, compulsion twisting your arm. For God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful you've heard probably in church is the word in the Greek, hilarious, means hilarious. Oh, man. Wow! <laughs> wow, I can't believe I get to do this. I mean, Mary, I, I don't know. I think she was so excited about giving. I, I think she couldn't wait. She had this special thing she was going to do for Jesus. She couldn't wait. 
I had this lady that used to give us presents uh, for Christmas in the church, and a wonderful lady. She'd been with us for 35 years the whole time we've been here. And she always loved us give us gifts, and, and she got so excited when she was giving us gifts. We'd start to unwrap the gift, and she'd be telling us what the gift was before we could ever get unwrapped. It's the funniest thing. We had to unwrap it real fast or we wouldn't know. Because she was just so excited to give. God loves a hilarious giver. There's something that's going to happen in our church. There's something I believe is going to happen in this church that we're going to be inundated with the love of God. We're going to love God like we've never loved Him before. Our love for Him is going to go wild. We're going to love Him, and out of that love is going to throw great gratitude and liberality. We're going to be able to give not out of guilt, but out of gratitude for the grace and mercy of God. Say this with me. Guilt giving is polluted. Love giving is without pain and honors the Lord. So, there's one other thing in this, in this story. This is, I'm going to say something controversial now, so just go ahead and get ready. I'm going to say something that you're not going to like. This story teaches something, this woman with the alabaster body teaches something that we're getting wrong now. And it is, when, when she gave, the reaction was, can't believe you did that. I don't know if you remember this, the, the episode where... Uh, I, everybody loves Raymond where he tears up the Super Bowl tickets. You remember that? It's just funniest episode. I just watched it again this week. Uh, tears up you know, the Super Bowl. It just She couldn't believe, Deborah couldn't believe she, he did that. And the people, when they saw her give this, it was like that was the reaction. What, what the world? There's a year's wages couldn't have been given. It could have been given to feed the poor. And here's what I say from the pulpit. Here's what I was talking to Joel about last night. Here's what he says. I know we say this. We say, you should give to Bayshore. You should give and support Bayshore because all the good things we do to help needy people. And we help needy people. If you're, you ask the board of directors, they get emails every week about people we help. We're constantly helping people. We pay for people's funerals. They can't afford to have a funeral. We uh, pay electric bills when people are about to get their heat turned off. We do all that neat stuff. We do as much as we can to help people, and uh, we do that all the time. But you know, if you give to this church to help other people, we have made an idol out of the poor. Because this offering was not for the poor. It, this offering was, was Jesus-focused. And she, and she gave with her focus on Jesus. And philanthropy is in. It doesn't matter if you're a church. It doesn't matter if you're George Clooney. It doesn't matter what company you're with. Everybody wants to be known as a philanthropist. Wants to be, given a per, be a person of giving right now. <laughs> I knew that word was in there. Was, somebody was going to stand up and give an interpretation. I could not say that. I mean... That's in. It's in. That's good. I'm at Brooks Brothers trying to buy a shirt, and, and they're like uh, St. Jude's Hospital, and, you know, I, hey, I'm all about that. That's great. But the church giving, giving in the church and giving the kingdom of God is different. The primary reason you give is to give it because you love Jesus, and the byproduct is to help the poor. And I'm just saying that there's something just a little bit off how we're focusing on giving. Because I know and you know that helping the poor and helping the needy is a good thing and we love it and we do it all the time. But I just felt like the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, you've got to be careful. 
What's the difference between us and George Clooney? Nothing. If we don't focus our giving on Jesus. So we want to help. We're going to help the poor. We're going to help more and more. The whole new building's got a whole section. The biggest uh, square footage part of that building, I, I think it's about the biggest square footage of that building, is to help feed the poor every week. But when you give your offering on Sunday and you give your tithe and you hit your little send button, it's about Jesus. Jesus, we give to you first. We honor you first. We love you first. And take this money as we honor you because we love you. And out of that, the poor are fed. We don't give first to feed the poor. We give first to love and honor Jesus because he is Lord. Can you say a big amen? Wow. Now, I got a scripture for you on that. Just in the word. 27 minutes, i got three minutes to go. Okay, think Christmas. Let's go to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, verse 11. You know the story of the wise man, the magi coming. And they're, and they're coming, and, and they're coming to worship Jesus. And the whole, the, if you read Matthew chapter 2, I know this is a Christmas story, and we're not, it's not Christmas. But Matthew 2, verses 1 through 12, the whole theme in that scene is about worship. We've come to worship the king, and, uh, and Herod says, let, let me know where he is so we can worship him as well. But here's what's important. Verse 11 of Matthew 2, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. They worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold. My gift and your gift goes to Jesus. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we worship you. We worship you with our money. We've sweat, we've toiled, we've worked. And boy, it feels good to get this money. But there's someone we love so much more than this money. We love you. And we worship you. And we open our treasures. So here's the, here's the principle. Giving is primarily focused on Jesus. Say it with me. Giving is primarily focused on Jesus. Secondarily, it helps the needs of the poor. So, so my granddad, he reaches around there, He gets that coffee can full of 50-cent pieces. He puts it in front of him. He's been saving those 50-cent pieces for a couple years. But he looks at his grandson. And he knows how much he loves his grandson. 
So he reaches in to the can that contains something he loves. And he pulls it out and he gives it to someone that he loves more. She looked at that alabaster box. She loved that alabaster box. That Jesus was coming to the party. And she walked over to the one whom her heart loved. And you, can you hear can you hear her snap the neck of that alabaster box? And she pours it all out on the head of Jesus, anointing him for his burial. Mark says it was two days before he's crucified. I don't know. He's on the cross, he's forsaken. Everybody's against him. They've cursed him. They've spit on him. They beat him almost to death. He's on the cross. And his bloody, sweaty hair is down by his face. And I just wonder if while he's on the cross, he can smell. He can smell that perfume. He can smell that perfume of the one who loved him more than anything. I just wonder if that perfume encouraged the heart of our Savior while he poured out his life for you and me. Say this with me as we conclude. Giving's not about guilt. Giving's about love. Giving's about loving something or loving someone more than the thing that I already love. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. Let the grace of God flow on this church, the grace of God, the mercy of God flow on us as the Holy Spirit does something radical in our hearts, makes us love Jesus more and more than ever before. Lord, we thank you for pouring out your Spirit on us as a church, thanking you for unpolluting our heart, unpolluting our giving. We just thank you for using us as a church. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. We go into this week full of the love of God, loving you, Jesus, every day of this week. Bless us as we serve you and honor you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen and amen. Amen. Love you guys. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday.